Um, Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. Please help us tonight to hear you. And please... In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to explain the context of tonight's passage just briefly uh, before we have a look at it in a lot more detail. Uh, So I'm going to give you a previously in Acts. Uh, So last week we met Stephen as one of the seven men who were chosen by the early church to overlook the daily distribution of bread so that it was fair and, you know, that people didn't miss out. Uh, These men are described as those who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Like the apostles, Stephen was doing amazing things and performing great wonders and signs among people and speaking about the good news of Jesus. And it doesn't surprise us that there's opposition, right? That's what we've seen so far in Acts, time and time again, particularly from the leaders, right? The Sanhedrin. Uh, Now, if you don't know who the Sanhedrin are, they were basically the supreme council of the Jewish people, uh, consisting of priests and elders and other authoritative people. Anyways, Stephen gives this huge speech or sermon to them, going through a large chunk of Israel's history. It's like 52 verses in chapter 7, and apparently this is just the summary version. Um, He speaks about Abraham, then Joseph for a bit, Um, Then gets to Moses, Joshua, David, and and Solomon, just briefly. Um, But at the end of it, right, at the end of it, you realize the point that he's really making is that Israel, the Jews, have been resisting and rejecting God throughout their history. They've not listened to God. Instead, they persecuted every messenger, every messenger, that God had ever sent to them. And so this is what Stephen says to the Sanhedrin in particular. Have a look with me if you have your Bibles there. In Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 52. Or you can look up on screen. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. Talking about God's son, Jesus. Um, In the Gospel of Mark, which is a historical eyewitness account from Mark's perspective, Jesus was the ultimate prophet who came and proclaimed the good news of God to the Jews. Mark 1.15 says, The time has come said, the kingdom of God has come, come near, and believe the good news. But sadly, this isn't how they respond. If only they did repent and believe. Instead, what they do is really serious. And the reason why it's so serious is because of who God, who Jesus is. Um, I'm not sure what sort of view you have of Jesus, Uh, Maybe you think he's your buddy or pal or friend. But right now, I want you to have this view of Jesus from Daniel in the Old Testament. Because this is the reality. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, 
And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's the one with authority, glory, and power. He has dominion. He's the king, and his kingdom will last. Can you see the seriousness of their crime? They would even dare to think to go against him, but they go so much further. They murdered the Son of God, the one who was sent to save them, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. They killed. He died a criminal's death by crucifixion. And what Stephen is saying here, what he's doing here is pinning this crime on the Jews and the Sanhedrin are feeling the weight of this. And so, what's their response? They're absolutely furious. They don't just imprison or flog Stephen like what we've seen in Acts so far. They drag him out of the city and stone him to death. And that brings us to tonight's passage, right? In Acts chapter 8. Verses 1 to 25. Now, with tonight's passage, I've broken it down into a few sections. Um, The gospel outbreak, the amazing gospel, the Samaritan's genuine faith, and we're going to compare that with um, Simon's spurious faith, and we're going to think hard about our own faith. The gospel outbreak. Um, To use the word outbreak right now is somewhat (laughs) appropriate, I guess. And let's say, at least it's current. Um, Just last week, on Wednesday, the World Health Organization, WHO, um, WHO, declared the coronavirus a pandemic. Now, who actually knows what a pandemic is? Who? Who does? (laughs) WHO defines pandemic as, and I quote, an outbreak of a new pathogen that spreads easily from person to person across the globe. Now, there are over 118,000 cases of coronavirus in over 110 countries and territories around the world, and it doesn't appear to be slowing down. It's definitely spreading from person to person across the globe. And you can probably see where I'm going with this, right? Now, I don't really want to compare the gospel outbreak with a virus outbreak, right? Because if you didn't know, they're really different. (laughs) But in the early church, the good news of Jesus spread in this manner. And what I mean by that is it spread really quickly. God's word spread from person to person, beginning in Jerusalem. And we've seen this so far in our Acts series. Acts Acts 2.41, those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. But tonight we're going to see the gospel reach out from Jerusalem into new territory, and it's not in the way we expect. See, it's actually through Stephen's death 
and the great persecution against the church that the gospel goes out. It's actually in shocking circumstances that the gospel goes out. I mean, one of their church members had just been stoned for preaching God's word. Imagine if that happened in our church today. I mean, not, hopefully it's not today, but like, imagine if that happened. I wonder how we would respond. You could say God's plan of evangelism in Acts is really unexpected and unorthodox. And what the Jews did intended to harm, but God uses it for good. Their attempts at trying to stop the progress of the gospel actually leads to its progress. It leads to this outbreak. Verse 1. We got to verse 1, finally. Um, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Um, Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the commission in Acts 1.8, right? The promises Jesus makes to his followers before he ascends into heaven. When he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus said is just beginning to happen. If you have a look at verse 4, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's the gospel outbreak. This is actually the second time in the passage the word scattering has been used. Um, In the Old Testament, uh, the scattering of God's people was never really a good thing. It was a curse on his people, often in judgment. Uh, For example, you can read about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 and the scattering of God's people there. But here in Acts 8, it's a positive sort of scattering, isn't it? which is happening um, even though it stems from unfortunate circumstances, like we know. It is a scattering which will bring blessing in many ways. And the reason for this is that the scattered people are being scattered, but they're going. They're going out. They're preaching God's word as they go. I think when we think preaching... Uh, We think it's like giving a talk, like what I'm doing now. That's preaching. But preaching can be done in so many ways. It can be public when you uh, speak to a crowd, but very, very often it's private. It's the private conversations. Preaching is declaring God's work and what he has done for you. It's declaring the good news of Jesus and trying to win people for him. If we know what Jesus has done for us, we can declare what he's done for us to others. We can all preach. Of course we can. In verse 5, we come across Philip, uh, who was also one of the seven men chosen with Stephen. Uh, Remember, these men were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Philip understands the priorities for the gospel because he goes down to a city in Samaria and speaks about the Messiah there. And they listen to him. 
And um, one of the reasons why the people of Samaria listen to Philip is because God gives Philip great power to do amazing things, amazing signs, exorcisms and healings, like things that I haven't seen happen. Have a look with me in verses 7 to 8. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Um, In this time period in Acts, we often see signs and wonders accompany the gospel. And what it does, it, it authenticates the message. It shows God's power as it is spoken. And for Samaria, the result of seeing the work of God and hearing the word of God, um, there is joy. The gospel brings absolute joy for the Samaritans. The gospel outbreak. We're going to have a look at the amazing gospel. What are you amazed by? What draws your attention? Um, For me, one of the most amazing things I've seen uh, was this show called um, House of Dancing Water. Now, it sounds weird, but yeah, it was a good show. Um, the show actually started with this uh, small wooden box around the size of a, of a milk crate. Um, it was dropped off in the middle of this huge stage with nothing else uh, around it. And then this box started um, just shaking a little and then moving a little. And then it started rolling, like it's a box rolling, right? And then one of the sides popped open, and out came a man. He was a contortionist. Um, I, I still can't, like, I, I'm still amazed at, like, how he could fit into this box. Like, it was actually really amazing. And the whole show was, like, full of these little crazy cr- tricks like this. And um, I felt really gripped. Like, it was, it was mind-blowing. And at the end of the show, the crowds were were cheering and the applause just went on and on. It didn't seem to stop. Now, in verses 9 to 13, we come across an infamous sorcerer uh, who had the attention of people, a bit like this show. Um, If he was around today, I'm sure he would be performing um, or he would be an Instagram influencer or something like that. His name is Simon, and whatever he did, right, had amazed all the people of Samaria. He had many followers. Uh, In fact, he made extravagant claims about himself, boasting that he was someone great. I'm not sure what kind of uh, sorcery or magic he he performed. Um, I imagine it was one of a supernatural kind, but maybe he was just really good with his hands. Um, and and able to get people to see things that weren't there, uh, using trickery. Whatever it was, right, the Samaritans were amazed by this sorcery, and so they gave them his attention. They gave their attention to him. Let's go with that. Uh, They even exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God, and continued to follow him. This guy drew crowds but he's taking away from God in a way and taking a piece of his glory. But then Philip comes along to Samaria 
with the amazing gospel message and God's power, and we all know what happened to Samaria. The people of Samaria gave Philip the attention and listened to what Philip had to say. In verse 12, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. The people of Samaria are converted and come to faith in Jesus. This is what the gospel does. And what is more is that Simon here himself appears to be converted, and he's even baptized, although there are some red flags, aren't there? Then Simon follows Philip everywhere, being amazed, being astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. You know, the city that was once captivated and amazed by Simon's sorcery is now captivated by Philip and the power of God and the amazing gospel message. Are you captivated by the gospel? Uh, In the next section, I do want us to think hard about what it means to have a genuine faith. Uh, We're going to see the Samaritan's genuine faith, and we've seen some of that already. And we're going to compare that with Simon's spurious faith. We'll get to that word as well a little bit later. Um, But if you didn't know already, Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other. And they had hated each other for like over a thousand years. And basically, if you were a Jew, you would have regarded Samaritans as impure, heretical, um, long-lost cousins, basically. But despite this history, it's actually really exciting to see Philip courageously take the gospel to the And who would have thought that the Samaritans would come to faith when they heard the message that Philip brought them? The Samaritans' faith is genuine because they truly believe the message which Philip is preaching the good news of Jesus. The Samaritans respond very differently to the Sanhedrin in Acts 7. Remember what they did with the message? They continued to deny the Son of Man and His authority and dominion and continued to resist God's word and they persecuted every prophet. The Samaritans have assurance and it is through true repentance and faith in Jesus that they will enter the kingdom of God. See, when they, when they believed this news, they turned from their ways, their old life. They turned away from that and began living a new life with Jesus as their ruler. Now, if you understand the gospel, you will know that when you repent and believe, right, that is, when you're converted and you become Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, It all happens at once, right? It's a synonymous thing. For example, let me give you an example. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It's pretty clear that a genuine believer of Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Can't have one without the other. So then what is happening in this section in verses 14 to 17? 
where the apostles hear that Samaria had accepted the word of God, that, that he's become Christian. But when Peter and John arrive from Jerusalem, they need to pray for the Samaritan believers so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Are they not converted yet until the apostles arrive? Or is there a two-stage conversion process, like accepting God's word and being baptized and then receiving the spirit of power? Like, what is actually happening? The best explanation for the delay of the Holy Spirit in this narrative is that it signals a new stage in the advancement of the gospel. Here, the gospel again breaks new ground as it comes out from Jerusalem into Samaria for the first time. I think it also may be a confirmation from the apostles, Peter and John, that the Samaritans are indeed included in the messianic promise and salvation, and included in the early church as well. I think it's a difficult part um, of God's word, but it's important for us also to know that it's a unique experience for the Samaritans, and not the usual way that people become Christian. So we shouldn't expect it today or now. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is one example of a normal pattern of conversion, right? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans have a genuine faith which is from accepting the word of God, accepting the good news of Jesus, not from anything else, not from the confirmation of the apostles or anything else for that matter, but it's from accepting the news and believing it. What about Simon's spurious faith? A spurious faith is basically a faith which is not genuine. got some pigeons to help you. Um, someone with a spurious faith uh, will only speak and act like a Christian for a little while. And it doesn't take long before their so-called faith evaporates or fades or, or, or dissipates or goes away, right? Fizzles out. Often the object of a spurious faith is something other than the truth of the gospel of Jesus. See, Simon the sorcerer's faith is a bit like this. He's initially attracted by Philip in the gospel because of the signs and miracles. Maybe he has FOMO as he sees all the other Samaritans accepting the gospel with joy and being baptized and so forth. And so, of course, he wants in. He's quickly drawn in, isn't he? But it's not sustained. And you can tell he hasn't really understood the gospel message when he tries to buy the ability to do what Peter and John did to lay their hands on people so they can receive the Spirit. I imagine the reason why he wants this power is because he's still living his old life. He wants people to give, them his, give their attention to him and be amazed at him. I mean, this would be another trick up his sleeve, right? That's why he wants it. He wants people to continue to praise him and call him the great power of God. You know, Simon has such a skewed view of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus. 
and he's still living for himself. Uh, So in verses 20 to 21, Peter answers back harshly but rightly. And you'd expect Peter to do something like this, right? Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. The Greek phrase here is more like, May your money go with you to destruction. Very harsh, but he needs to hear it. See, the main problem for Simon is that his heart is not right with God. Peter recognizes his spurious faith, or even pretense you could call it. And even though he's probably so annoyed and angry with Simon's profanity and bitterness and his sin, Peter still finds a way to realize Simon's greatest need and tells him to repent and believe. Verse 22. Please have a look. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Then in verse 24, Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So what happened? At the end of this passage, I still don't think Simon really gets it. I don't think he has genuine repentance and belief. His response seems a bit insincere, self-protective, and he just wants someone else to sort it out for him. Peter, you sort it out for me. That's what a spurious faith would do. The right response for Simon would have been to recognize his error, that his heart was not right with God, truly repent and believe the good news and go away, a changed man living for Jesus. That would have been the right response. I do want to draw all these things together and um, ask you about your faith. Where is your faith? Just think about your own faith for a moment. Um, If you don't yet have a faith, or you don't think you have a faith, or you think that your life has gone too far from God to have a faith, I'm so glad that you're here tonight to hear the good news of Jesus. Because he desires for all people to be saved, and there is no one, no one outside the reach of his love doesn't matter what past you've had, you might just be like the Samaritans before Philip brought the word of God to them. Please stop resisting him and instead come to him. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. That's all you need to do. Speak to someone about it tonight if you haven't already. You can speak to me about it or write on the connect card. If you think that you have a spurious faith, like Simon, uh, listen to the warning in Acts 8. Think hard about what brought you to Jesus or what brought you to church in the first place. Was it the good news of Jesus? Was it his gift of love and gift of life? Or was it something else? What signs and wonders are attracting your eyes? 
What's drawing you to be at our gatherings? Like, is it our music? Is it our friends? Is it our food? Is it our programs? Like, what is it? And if it's something else, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Don't be like Simon. Make sure your heart is right before God. You know, put your old life away. Turn around and start living for Jesus because he is your king. Maybe for some of us, we somehow desire attention or glory for ourselves. You know, I think it's very easy to become little Simons, especially when the world gives us attention um, for like our work and our abilities and our accomplishments and so forth. Um, it could even happen here at church, right? As we speak or teach or, or um, serve in various ways, we want people to see us, see me, and even praise us, praise me. Give us a bit of, a, give me a bit of attention. We sometimes want to take a little piece out of God's glory. The only sign you need is that Jesus rose from the dead, and all the glory should go to Him. And if you have a genuine faith and full assurance in the good news of Jesus, I really do thank God for you. Um, Continue to allow his spirit to work in your life. Allow the spirit to fight sin and to grow in love and knowledge of him. Allow the spirit to praise God and be filled with joy for the gospel like the Samaritans were. Let's be excited about Jesus. And ask the Spirit for boldness and courage and strength and power to keep preaching the good news of Jesus, even when it's hard, wherever you are and wherever you go. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you for the good news of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, please give us true repentance and a genuine faith. May our hearts be right with you, and may your spirit work in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.